ago, uh, Pastor Bob, he presented uh, and he introduced us to uh, two initiatives uh, that we've been working on uh, as a staff. And you remember, uh, one is being uh, about uh, com being committed to one another and spending time with one another. The other one was about being in God's word uh, and knowing God as God has revealed himself. And one of the things that Pastor Bob said is that uh, those two initiatives that we've been working on have kind of begun to overlap so that we're kind of, we get to about where we are today uh, and what we've been talking uh, to you about and what we've been uh, thinking about and working on and the tables in the back and, the, and, and walk through the Old Testament. All of this is about, about partnering in God's word, coming together, uh, taking God's word in, and then talking it out. Uh, and it's been awesome uh, to be a part of both of those initiatives. Uh, it has been so good to just, like see how God has led us in that and how he continues to lead us in the direction of the church. We're going to take a couple of Sundays and we're going to go over more details about these things that we are calling initiatives, where they came from. How we landed on these decisions, we're going to be talking a little bit more about these certain initiatives and why they're important to us and, and, and why they're important uh, from God. So first of all, <laughs> when we're saying this word initiative, what is that? Right? I want to take a moment and just, just clarify, briefly define what we're talking about when we use that word around here at Gateway, especially when it comes to things like goals and visions and values and things like that. The definition to describe how we've been using this word uh, is a plan or program that is intended to solve a problem or improve a situation. Right? As a church, we should have goals. We should have goals, and these goals should relate to the, the values and the priorities that God has for his church and the purposes, okay, that he has for his church. And these purposes, they are summarized here at Gateway with three words, know, grow, and show, okay? We've spent time on Sunday mornings talking about these words. These words are above the doors as you enter into the auditorium. They're important. They provide a framework, okay? For example, uh, to know, okay, we want everyone, everyone to know Jesus personally, for them to know salvation, for them to know the life that Jesus gives to them. And then we want everyone who knows Jesus, we want them uh, to grow in their knowledge of him so that they're falling more in love with Jesus and becoming more like him and their attitudes and behavior. This is about knowing God and knowing Jesus progressively. Okay, but the start of an initiative the start of a plan to solve a problem or improve a situation always asks how. Well, then how do we do that? How do we increase knowing God and encourage that? And, and, and what steps do we take for as a church? And, and what does it actually look like when we as a church begin to prioritize that word no? And we actually started working on these initiatives about uh, six months ago. We, we met as a staff and we took a look, a good, long, hard look at each one of those words. We began to uh, come up with what it would look like uh, for our church and those, the steps that we need to take in order to be there to have goals. It was a long, pretty extensive list for each word. And so we spent time praying about this list and we met together and we discussed these things. We voted on, on, on those things and uh, we, we prayed more. And the purpose of it was to, so that there would be one goal for each word that would rise to the top. 
for where we are right now, for where we believe that God is leading his church. And this is what we decided. For GROW, the goal is to have God's people being committed to spending consistent time together. This is about the partnerships that you keep hearing about. So we met as a team and we applied ourselves to that. We spent time working on those steps uh, that we need to take to move in that direction of GROW. And for NO, the goal was decided that we want everyone to be reading the Bible. Because we want everyone to know God as he has revealed himself. Not in the way that we imagine God. Right? Not in the way uh, that we understand him according to our own understanding or according to our own feelings. But we want to know God as he has revealed himself. And then a team met and we worked on that and the steps that we should be taking for that goal. And it's this goal to know God as self-revealed that we're going to look at in a little bit more detail this morning. Next Sunday, we'll be looking uh, at the initiative, which is about being committed to spending time together. But today, we're talking about what we do, the content of those partnerships, right? How, what do we do when we come together? We come together around the Word of God so that we can take the Word of God in, and then together, we can talk that out. And can I just say that if you are hearing about these initiatives, uh, if you're hearing about uh, know and grow and the, and the goals that we have for the first time this morning, or maybe you haven't done anything about these initiatives, can I just tell you that that's okay, all right? This is not something that we started January 1st. This is not something that was a New Year's resolution for the church, right? We are all starting this together. In fact, Walk Through the Bible uh, is kind of the beginnings of this whole thing for us to come together. It's a great way for us even as partners at the, know, uh, the Walk Through the Bible, to come together as partners and begin this process of getting in the Word together. So if you have a desire, if you have a desire for the things that we're talking about today and you have a desire for the things that we're going to be talking about next Sunday, can I just tell you, you're right on track. You're right on track. Let me pray for us and then we're going to dig into the Word. Father, we are so grateful uh, for your presence, we are grateful for your spirit working in our lives, teaching us. We're grateful for the word of God that we can go to as a source of truth, as the truth in our lives. And we are grateful that you use that in our lives uh, to teach us. And we pray that that's exactly what happens. We pray that you teach us, that you soften our hearts to the lessons that you want to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If there's one thing, okay, one thing that we could point to that would be at the heart of everything that we do and that sums up and summarizes everything for our lives, what would that one thing be? I mean, this is a pretty important question, isn't it? It gets to the heart of our purpose and why we're here on this planet Earth. What should we be focused on and applying ourselves to? Jesus was asked this question, Matthew chapter 22. He was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? Like, which one's the biggest? Which one's the most important? What, were, what would the one be that summarized all the rest of what God wants us to do and how we are to live? And Jesus says that he's answers and he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, the greatest and foremost. So all that we believe, 
right? All of Christianity, it comes down to loving God and how everything that we do, everything of who we are and, and what we apply ourselves to, our relationships, our, our successes and failures, the things that we work at, the things that we entertain ourselves with, it all hangs on and is born out of, or it should be, a loving relationship with God. In other words, loving God is the most important thing in all of the universe ever. So another pretty significant question then would be, well, how? Well, then how do we do that? How, how do we love God? Well, loving God starts with God. It says we're told that we love him because he first loved us. That's how we know what love is. But how do we fall more in love with God? Right, how do we move in the direction of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Let me ask you this. How do we love someone that we don't know? How do we fall more deeply in love with something if we aren't getting to know them more and learning more about who they are and spending time with them? So knowing God, that turns out to be a pretty significant thing for us. And fortunately for the human race, God doesn't keep himself a secret. He is a God that desires to be known. And so he has revealed himself, not hidden himself. He has revealed himself. And scripture tells us that he reveals himself through creation. He reveals himself through his son, Jesus. He reveals himself through his spirit. He reveals himself through his word, the Bible, who he is, what he does, how he thinks, that he makes, his feelings toward us. All this he reveals to us in his word that he's given to us. And what that means then is that the Bible is a very significant thing in our lives. It's a very significant thing when it comes to knowing God and loving God and falling more in love with him. Therefore, okay, therefore here at Gateway, it is our desire, our goal that everyone is involved in some kind of partnership that gathers around the word of God and spends time taking in God's word together and then talking it out. Jesus, at the start of his ministry, a few years before he went to the cross, it says that he was led by God into the wilderness. Okay, so the wilderness of the Pacific Northwest, it looks slightly Judean wilderness. This is what the wilderness there looks like. Okay, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, it is this place, right? It is this place then that says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, to say the least. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is what we're going to be spending the rest of our time on this morning and how it relates uh, to the initiative that we're talking about with knowing God. Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He goes without food for 40 days and 40 nights. He is hungry, and the devil comes to him with the first temptation or test, and he says to Jesus, if you're the Son of God, Okay, this is not Satan trying to get Jesus to prove to Satan that he is the son of God. Satan has no doubts about Jesus being the son of God. He knows it full well. 
Okay, the question asked by Satan is more literally, since you are the son of God, demonstrate that by doing something miraculous for yourself, turn this rock into a, a tasty loaf of bread. And Jesus, he does not just sit there and endure the testing of Satan in silence. Jesus speaks to Satan and he answers him and he says, it is written. I love that. In fact, three times the devil tempts Jesus. You know that all three times Jesus replies to the devil, it is written. I love this because Jesus could have just said no. Right? He could have just said no, or he, he could have used some sort of like spiritual power that is inaccessible to you and to me, but he doesn't. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, out flashed the sword of the spirit. Our Lord will fight with no other weapon. He could have spoken new revelations, but chose to say it is written. He chose to say that. And then he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And based on this response, we get more information about what exactly it is that Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to do. Because if we go back to Deuteronomy 8 and we look at the context of what Jesus quotes, we find, G we find Moses speaking to the people of Israel. Okay, Deuteronomy 8, that's verse 3. It says, he, this is speaking of God, Moses is speaking, and he says, He, God, humbled you, Israel, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God led Israel into the wilderness, and then he let them get hungry. That's what it says. He humbled you and let you hunger and then God fed them. If you remember the story, God uses Moses to go to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh, and says, let my people go. And God miraculously delivers Israel from the hand of slavery. He miraculously uh, delivers them from the army of Pharaoh. He parts the Red Sea so that Israel walks on dry land. And then from the Red Sea, he brings them across into a barren wasteland where they get hungry and thirsty and there's no food and there's no water. And then every morning, God would feed them with this miraculous bread from heaven called manna. Why? Moses says it's because God wanted them to know something. God tells the people, every night you're going to go to bed with no food. Imagine it. No food in your cupboards, no food in your refrigerator, no food at your neighbor's houses, no food at the grocery stores, and no food at the restaurants. Every night, you're going to go to bed with nothing, nothing except for one thing. God says, you will have my word that I will provide for you miraculously tomorrow, just as I did today. God wanted to teach them. And he wants to teach us. And one of the things that he wants to teach us is that there are more important things than just comfort. There's more important things than a steady food supply or always knowing where there's a source of water for us to go to. Our lives are not only about the tangible world. God wants to teach us. 
He wants to show us something and reveal something to us that looks more like the reality that we live in, more of the bigger picture, and to have us learn something more about ourselves and our relationship with God, our, our love relationship with the Lord, our faith relationship with the Lord, and to teach us more of the things of how they actually are. See, not our skewed perspectives, but how things actually are. See, we tend to think that what we need are things like shelter, food, water, air to breathe. And we tend to think that the things that we depend on to provide those things that we need would be things like our income, for example. Uh, uh, maybe local services to provide us running water, envir environmental protection measures, or we, or we depend on the supply chain to stock the grocery stores, right? That's kind of a thing right now, right? The supply chain, all of this to supply for us a level of comfort, a peace of mind, knowing that we have a steady supply of food and water and clean air, and none of these things are bad. These are all really good things, but our skewed perspectives would have us believe that we need these things more than God, or we forget God in all of these things. See, our skewed perspectives would have us believe that we, de we depend on ourselves and the world around us more to supply us, to, we depend on us and the world around us more than we depend on God. And that is just simply not true. That is simply not true. That's not the reality of the universe that we live in. Hebrews says that he uses his powerful word to uphold all things together. So God in his infinite wisdom and, and God in his infinite grace toward us is constantly adjusting our perspectives to try to align them with the reality that he is the source and he is the provider for everything that we are and everything that we need. And Satan says to Jesus, well, you're the son of God. If anyone can change this rock into bread, it's certainly you. And if anyone deserves to take matters into their own hands and provide for themselves and to provide the food that your body desperately needs, then that's you, Jesus. You have the power. You have the right to take matters into your own hands and satisfy yourself. See, the temptation is that he could be the provider of miracle bread for himself, the thing that Satan says that you desperately need. And Jesus says, no. He says, it is written. He says, actually, what I need more than anything else is my Father who is the provider. And I will trust his provisions, and I will trust his wisdom, and I will trust his character and his promises, and I will trust all of his timing and his power and his love to provide all of that exactly the way that I need it. He says, I trust the Father and the words that he speaks, and I will not be tempted to depart from it. See, there's a different kind of food that is more miraculous than manna. There is a different kind of food that is more miraculous than bread from a rock. Jeremiah the prophet says, your words were found and I ate them. 1 Timothy 4, 6, we are nourished in the words of the faith. I love the connection the Bible makes with food and the word of God. How we don't live by bread alone, but also by this miraculous heavenly bread that comes from God. So when I was growing up, 
food was a bit of a challenge for me. Uh, I, was, I grew up in a household where my mom always made me eat everything that was on my plate. Uh, and of course, I was never forced to eat like pies and cakes and candy, right? I was always told, make sure you eat all of your vegetables, right? And I struggled with it. I thought I hated meats and vegetables. It turns out uh, that my mom just grossly overcooked meats and vegetables. Right? Sorry, mom, but it's true. Uh, right? So, like, when I, I, I just struggled with it. I felt like, I, I feel like in, in a lot of ways, I was damaged by growing up with food. My, one of the things I would eat that my mom would give me as a snack is she would take a head of lettuce, and then she would slice this big ring and lay it on a plate, and then she would smear Miracle Whip and sprinkle sugar over the top of it. So, when I became a teenager, I moved in with my dad. And then my dad and I, we'd go out for dinner or we'd have dinner together. Uh, and he'd say, Gary, I want you to try this. And I'd say, nope. He's like, oh, just, Gary, just try it. It's good. And I'd be like, no, it looks gross. Like, what's in it? It's green, <laughs> right? And then once I, then Robin and I, we were married, and, and, and Robin, she's a, she's a fantastic cook, uh, and she would say, here, I want you to try these vegetables. And I'd say, I know what vegetables taste like, right? And so if it wasn't for Robin and her encouragement, if it wasn't for Robin uh, and uh, just the way she cooks so deliciously, I don't think that I would ever have tried another vegetable in my entire life. And now we have our own kids, and we don't make them eat everything on their plate, but we do tell them, right, eat a couple more bites of that. A couple more, just a couple more carrots, Max, right? You don't get anything else until you finish your vegetables at least, right? And we say these things and we are told these things because most of us know that we need nourishment. We need sustenance. This is how I learned to enjoy vegetables. Maybe at first I'm not super keen on something like broccoli, for example, but it was hard work to even bring that thing close to my face. But I reminded myself that my body needs it. I reminded myself this is going to be good. My body's going to be happy that I did this. And then after several times of trying it, something happens. Okay, if there's a food that you don't think tastes very good, it has been proven that it is possible, even likely, that most people can begin actually enjoying the food that they don't like. Now, there's a lot of different variables to this, but basically the process is that you start enjoying a food by putting yourself in a context of where you are exposed to that food again and again in a way that is weird or gross like lettuce with, may like with Miracle Whip and sugar on it, right? No, instead what we do is maybe we, we cook it a little bit differently. So instead of boiling spinach, maybe we saute it. Right? Or we use like a, a sauce or a spice that would actually enhance the flavor in a good way. And then you try that same food eight to ten times. Okay, this is proven to be effective. It's proven effective in experiments. It's proven effective in my own life. Tomatoes. I never liked tomatoes. And I wanted to because I heard how delicious they are on burgers. I, heard, I would hear from people, you might as well not even make a sandwich if you're not going to put a tomato on it, right? Like, don't even waste your time. And I felt like, am I missing out on something? And so I started by eating BLTs, right? There's something wrong with someone if they don't like tomato on a BLT. And then I started adding slices of tomato uh, to burgers. 
I started putting myself in situations where I was being exposed to tomato and being exposed to it in a really positive way. Here's the point. There might be believers out there who would say that they have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to the word of God. They tried to read the Bible. It just didn't work for them. It's boring. I don't understand it. It just doesn't work for me. I, I don't find it relevant. And we think that we have a bad taste in our mouth from it. And so because of that, we defend ourselves against it. We push the plate away and we say, no, thank you. It doesn't look appetizing. What's in it? It looks green. We turn away from it. We turn our noses up to it. And we have people, though, don't we, in our lives who care for us, who say, just take a couple more bites. Eat a couple more carrots. But we keep pushing the plate away. Me and the kids, we've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia. I feel like I'm losing my voice. We've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia in the evening. It's been awesome. The very first book of that series is called Magician's Nephew. <clears throat> and in it, the two main characters, a young boy named Diggory and a young girl named Polly. And they're there uh, at the start of Narnia when Aslan the lion, who is like, a, he, he represents Jesus in every way. Uh, he is creating, he's singing, and he's, he's creating Narnia. And Narnia is unfolding before the children. And it's this, this beautiful thing, this amazing thing. But there are other characters with the children. Okay, there is the white witch who is there. And when she hears Aslan singing, it's repulsive to her. She runs away. Another character, uh, he is the uncle. He's Diggory's uncle. His name's Andrew. Not a good dude. Not a good dude. He's used the children. He's experimented with them. He's lied. Uh, he, he dabbles in, in magic. And he can't understand the words that are coming from Aslan's mouth when he speaks. He's confused, and, the, and there's animals that Aslan has created that also speak. There's talking beasts, and they don't know what Andrew is. They're confused by him, and at one point, they think that he's a tree, and so they plant him, and the elephant is watering him, and so he's, he's terrified. He's trembling. He's confused, and Polly, the young girl, goes to Aslan and says, Aslan, will you tell him that it's okay? Tell him that he doesn't have to be scared, and tell him, too, never to come back to Narnia. And Aslan replies to Polly, and he says this, I cannot tell that to this old sinner, and I cannot comfort him either. He has made himself unable to hear my voice. If I spoke to him, he would hear only growlings and roarings. And then he says, Adam's sons, right? This is how he addresses, C.S. Lewis addresses human beings. Oh, Adam's sons. How cleverly you defend yourselves against all that might do you good. How cleverly we defend ourselves for all that might do us good. Let's stop defending ourselves against the word of God as if it's just roarings and growlings. Stop defending ourselves from it as if it's this back-breaking drudgery. 
stop defending ourselves from it as if we have this bad taste in our mouth from it for one reason or another. This is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus singing to us. It is alive and it is beautiful and it's the most satisfying nutrients to your soul that you could ever eat. We don't live by bread alone. His words, they feed you who you really are. You down deep inside of your spirit, it feeds your soul like nothing else in all of creation. Stop defending ourselves against it. Instead, we put ourselves in an environment or a situation where we can be exposed to it and return to it again and again and discover that it's not gross. It doesn't taste bad. That is what our enemy would have you to believe. He wants us to have a bad taste in our mouth from the word of God. He knows the effectiveness it has on the saints of God. He knows full well that it's alive and active and how God's spirit uses it in a very powerful way in our lives. He's been around. He knows from experience what the word of God can do. He knows what the Bible says about itself. And he knows verses like 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He knows Ephesians. He knows uh, the armor of God. He knows chapter 6, verse 7. Take the helmet of salvation, he's saying to the saints. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He knows verses like Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. See, Satan would have us believe that God's word is only roarings and growlings. He doesn't want us to know. He doesn't want us to believe the words of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. He would have us believe that God's word doesn't taste very good. See, our enemy would have us believe that the sword of the Spirit, our weapon for offense against the enemy, he would have us believe that it doesn't taste very good. He would want us to respond, no thank you, and to push the plate away. It looks gross. It doesn't look like it tastes very good. What a horrible lie. What a horrible and effective and deceitful lie because this is what God says about his word. Psalm 19, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey in my mouth. See, the words of God the sword of the spirit, it is alive and is active, it is breathed out by God for our instruction that through his words that we would have endurance and experience encouragement and find hope and, and it's the best tasting thing that your soul has ever tried. And you don't want to know why? 
You want to know why Jeremiah says your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart? Do you know the really cool reason that we don't live by bread alone? What it is about every word that God speaks that provides uh, sustenance for our souls is John 5, 39. It's Jesus speaking uh, to the religious leaders and he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that that testify about me, about Jesus. Everything that we read in the Bible, it reveals Jesus so that we know him better and that we fall in love with him more. And get this, this Jesus in the beginning of John who's described as the word and he's found everywhere in the word. When we find him there, this is what we find. It's John chapter 6. I'm going to read for you the beginnings of it. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is speaking to all the people, and he says, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And they said to him, so the crowd saying to him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Right? This is what we want. We want this miraculous heavenly bread. So we want to eat that to give us true life. We want this always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We go into the word and we find Jesus. And when we find him, we take those words in and he, the bread of life, satisfies completely our hunger and our thirst in our souls. And then that is when we begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. And the more we know him, the more we fall in love with him. And as we take him in, and fall in love with him more and more, then we can't help but talk him out to others, believers and unbelievers alike. Today, this week, there's something for us to do. Will you work this week on finding a partnership and then begin deciding how you will come together around the word of God. We have a lot of tools, uh, a lot of people wanting to help with this. Uh, you find yourself needing any help, uh, you can come talk to any one of us on staff. You can visit, the, the, there's a table in the lobby with Bibles. There are bookmarks and handouts for you that describe more about what we're doing with these initiatives. Uh, the website is a great tool for us to be able to use. In it, you'll find registration for walkthrough. That is like the beginnings of what we're talking about. What a great way for us as partners after we find them or if we're already in a partnership to come together. And a partnership uh, can be two people. It can be a family. It can be two couples coming together. Uh, it, it could be a grow group, whatever it may be, to come together, to come to the walkthrough. There on the website, you'll find registration for that as well. Uh, and you will find uh, more information about the initiatives on there as well. And in there, if you need help finding a partnership, there is something for you to fill out on the website as well. Uh, and we want 
to help you find a partnership of some kind. We want you to find a partnership because that allows you uh, to be put into a situation or circumstances uh, that is very beneficial so that you can be exposed to the word of God and come back to it again and again so that you know him more and that you fall in love with him more and stop defending ourselves against him. Stop pushing the plate of God away and remember that you don't live by bread alone. Remember, remember, remember you don't live by bread alone, but by every delicious and sustaining word from the mouth of God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for your word and we're grateful for this church. We know that you have brought us partnerships in here. We know that you have brought people into our lives that we can say yes to so that we can come together around your word so that we can take it in. We can mull it over. We can think about it. We can meditate on it. We can memorize it. And then as we get together, then we can talk those things out. And we want to take Jesus in. Jesus, you are the bread of life. We want you desperately. We want the life that you give. We want you to satisfy completely our hunger and our thirst. And we want to fall in love with you more. Oh, we want to fall in love with you more, Jesus. And the more we do, the more we can't help but talk about you. We want to talk you out then with other believers in our partnership. And we want to talk you out to the unbelievers because they need to know you desperately. We thank you so much for your spirit and your word and for this church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.